I don't know. He brought two Bibles up today. We must be in for the full load. You know, we did have a great vacation Bible school. And we, we had uh, probably a little over 100 children each day. And um, we had almost uh, probably about that many workers as well. And um, so every day there was a couple hundred people in our building. But, um, you know, we didn't see quite as many professions of faith as we would have liked to see. But you know what? We were faithful every day to share the gospel. We were faithful every day to love on these kids. And it's the Lord who brings about the harvest anyway. It's his harvest. And so we're doing our part. We were faithful. We were available. We were teachable. And he will use that. And um, I know that uh, for those two uh, that, that prayed to receive Christ, uh, you know, I know it means an eternity to them. And uh, the angels in heaven are rejoicing because of that. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 today, uh, verses 13 through 16. I'll read those in just a little bit. I have a story I want to tell you. Um, you know, while we were away last month... Um, I had the opportunity to go on a deep sea fishing trip off the Oregon coast in the Pacific Ocean. And we went about uh, 10 or 15 miles offshore and we were uh, with my father-in-law and my, some of my own children and some of my extended family. And we were on a boat with about 15 people. And eight of them were our family. And, um, you know, we caught tons of fish. And we, they, we were fishing for uh, a type of sea bass that is called rock, uh, rock bass. And um, it was, um, uh, we got, caught a lot of them. We, everybody limited out on the boat. We caught so many fish. Okay, you're allowed 10 per person. If you think about our party had eight of us in it, that's 80 fish. Okay, now that's 160 fillets. Okay, I mean, that's a lot of fish. Um, we had a great time. Um, we also caught some super delicious Dungeness crab um, while we were out there. I don't know if you've ever had Dungeness crab, but it's one of the best tasting crab in all the world, um, in my opinion. But, um, you know, it was wonderful. We had a great, bountiful harvest. Um, anyway, my, my point is there was a man on the boat who noticed, uh, we noticed that he looked like he was fishing with his 14 or 15 year old son. We noticed them together, and, and uh, I'm not sure what got into this guy, but on the way back, um, back into Port Garibaldi there, um, I think he thought he might have joined up with the U.S. Navy, okay, because he started the unedited version of cussing like a sailor. Okay, we're out on the boat, and, and his son is there, um, you know, at this point in my life, I've, I've been around the block a time or two, and uh, I've heard some of the types of words he was using, but man, oh man, my ears were burning. Okay, I could hear him just going, going to town over there. Well, I sensed the Holy Spirit was prompting me to go and strike up a conversation with this man, and so I did, and not very long into the conversation, I asked him where he was from and what he did for a living. You know, people are real interesting. I found out he was from Idaho. 
No problem with Idaho. He was a big-time farmer there, and he farmed about 7,000 acres in Idaho. And um, he was on a fishing trip with his son. And then he asked me that fateful question, what is your occupation? Now understand, I, I am just a man, but as a spiritual leader, I represent the presence of God, and just my presence alone has cleared an entire keg room at a wedding celebration before. Didn't say anything, just walked in. Boom, everybody was leaving. It's like, couldn't figure out where all the men went. So I told him, I said, I was a Baptist minister. I said, a Southern Baptist preacher and follower of Jesus Christ. And I was a pastor of the great church, Memorial Baptist Church in Temple, Texas. Now, my brother-in-law... And his son, along with God as my witness, I tell you, time stood still as this man picked his jaw up off the deck of the boat. And he re repositioned himself, and while he was doing that, he repositioned his religion. And he proceeded to talk about what a faithful Christian and church member he was in Idaho and that discipleship was his thing. Oh, he was laying it on so thick. He was laying it on so thick that my family members noticed the switch in this man that flipped and openly talked about it later. And they said, I can't believe how fast he turned and became a model Christian. You know, it was in that time that I was able to talk to this man and say, you know what? You have a huge influence. And the influence that you are giving out, no matter where you are, matters. Amen. My point is this. We should be a good influence on those around us. They should be able to see Jesus in us. They should be able to make want to make that switch if they're not living the way they, they should be. And I'm not saying that to bring attention to me. I'm saying that because that is where a lot of people are. They're living a double life. See, last week we discovered how Jesus used the, the eight Beatitudes to describe the essential character of a kingdom person. And after describing the qualities of his, of his disciples, Jesus proceeded to tell how influential his disciples are to the world. See, Christians, we have a responsibility to influence the entire world. Read with me in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said it this way, verse 13 and following. He said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Loving Father, I thank you for your word, and Lord Jesus, I thank you for the change that you make in each one of our lives, and I ask, Holy Spirit, that even in this moment, in this time, that you would guide us into the truth of who we are. Father, I know that there are many times when I don't live up to the expectation. Father, when I'm not faithful to you. But even in those times, you are faithful to me, Lord. And Father, we thank you for that. Guide us in this moment, in this time, yet once again. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. See, our Lord, our Lord Jesus, he used the simplest figures of speech. Probably nothing is plainer, more universal, more old-fashioned than what I want to call salt. Just the, the, the old expression salt. It's this common commodity. It's so common that we take it for granted. We take it that it's always going to be there. But what a difference it would make in our world if we no longer had salt. And the little boy said, salt is what, make, what tastes bad when you don't have it. I mean, Christians are the salt of the earth and we ought to make a difference. See, in defining a Christian's influence, Jesus used two common domestic metaphors, salt and light. And every home was familiar with these things. These two metaphors have implications about the Christian's influence on the world. And understand this. Citizens of the kingdom of heaven impact society. They impact our society because they are different. Not because they are weird, not because they are bizarre, but they are distinct. There is a difference between them and the people in the kingdom of this world. Citizens of the kingdom of heaven impact society because they are different. See, when salt and light try to accommodate to or be formed by the kingdom of this world, they lose their distinctiveness. What I'm saying is, if we don't have salt, if we're not salt and we're not light, what happens is we get absorbed into the world. Think about this. This is important. Along with that, the potential to impact the decay and the darkness of this world, which is passing away, goes away. Listen to this. In Revelation, John records the triumphant cry. In, in Revelation eleven fifteen. it says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And He will reign forever and ever. The kingdom of this world will become his kingdom and he will reign forever and ever. <laughs> you need to know who wins. You need to align yourself with the Lord and Master. See, until then, God has left us as believers in the kingdom of darkness, in the kingdom of decay, to dispel the darkness, to hinder decay, 
as peacemakers, giving out the word of reconciliation, a word which in some will birth new life. As we are those agents of salt and light, in some, when we share the gospel with them, they are going to be born again and they're going to become believers in Jesus Christ. They're going to be born again into his kingdom. But to others, it will cause them to hate and persecute us. Some people will be born again. Others may just hate us for what we stand for. Recognize that. Folks, we're in a battle. And we need to understand that. We need to be ready for the battle. You've not signed on to go to the amusement park. You've signed on to do spiritual battle against the prince of darkness, against the prince of the power of the air. Understand that. Persecution for the sake of Christ and the kingdom of heaven becomes a sign that we truly belong to the glorious coming kingdom of our Lord Jesus. If we're not being persecuted, we may not be doing it right. Treasured seniors, adored children, precious teenagers, Do not be conformed into the image of this world. Do not let this world squeeze you into its mold. Romans 12.2 says, And do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect The world is constantly trying to put us into the pattern, its pattern, to conform us, to mold us, and to shape us into that. And what I'm saying this morning is don't do it. Don't be conformed into this world. You see, there is the distinctiveness of us being a Christian. There's a distinctiveness that comes with it. You know, if you've been, if you've been spent more than 20 minutes in a church, You've probably heard that you are salt. You may not know what it means, but you've probably heard that, that you are the salt of the earth. And for most, the most part, what happens is it's just made us feel guilty about maybe not witnessing like we should. This salt scripture talks about is so familiar, and it's in our evangelical language, our vernacular that, that really, uh, it's lost much of its power. Reading Jesus' word here causes a reader to, to see the contrast. He says, you are the light of the world. See, God's people and the people of the world represent two different communities. <laughs> On one hand is you, the earth's salt and the, the world's light. On the other hand is the earth that is needing salt and needing the light of the gospel. See, the world, humanity, is decaying because of the increase in human rebellion. People don't want to be told what to do. 
They want to be their own God. They want to make their own decisions. They don't want to worship the one true God. And a heart is, is turned in rebellion against God. And because of that, and because of how predominant that is in our land, our land is dying, it's decaying. There is corruption. See, the earth desperately needs preserving. It's also a world of darkness. People have refused the light of God so long that they are stumbling around in darkness. And you know what? They've gotten comfortable with the darkness. They've gotten comfortable with it. And after thinking about a world without God, we cannot help but see the people of God and what we bring to the table. We bring salt and we bring light. Folks, that is what makes us distinct. A key thought in both of these pictures is distinction. You see, salt is needed because the world is rotting and decaying. And if our Christianity is also rotting and decaying, it won't be any good. Light is needed because the world is in darkness. And if our Christianity imitates the darkness, we've nothing to show to the world. I mean, to be effective as a believer in our world, we must seek and display our Christian distinctive. What makes us different from them is that we have salt, and we are salt, and we are light, and we bring both of those to the table. But if that's not what they're seeing, maybe we've lost our distinctiveness. See, we can never affect the world for Jesus by becoming like the world. The figures of salt and light, they also remind us that the life that is marked by the Beatitudes is not a life that is lived in isolation. See, Jesus wants us to live this out in front of the rest of the world, in plain sight of the rest of the world, to be salt and light where there is no salt, where there is no light. See, Jesus points to the amazing impact of his disciples, which I would imagine to the disciples at that time seemed ridiculous. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. I mean, to these humble Galileans, how could they become the salt of the earth? How could they be the light of the world? <laughs> but with God, all things are possible. They did. They did. They became salt and light. And the reason that you're a believer today is because they brought salt and light. They carried the gospel. They showed the gospel. See, Jesus never challenges us to become salt and light. He simply says that we are salt and light. And that we're either fulfilling those responsibilities or we're failing at those responsibilities. We're either doing that or we're not. We either are salt or we're not. We're e we either are light or we're not. We're either failing or fulfilling. But notice the duty of being a Christian. See, Jesus' words have a tone here of duty. You are to be salt to the earth. You are to be light to the world. 
I mean, what does it mean to be salt? What does it mean? I mean, I've met some salty people in my day. Kind of has a different connotation. To be salt and light. Salt was primarily used to flavor and to preserve food. And this preservative power is likely what Jesus had in mind. The world decays like rotten meat. And Christians act to prevent this decay. <laughs> Can you imagine what our world would be like if there were no churches in our land? That darkness is truly darkness. The fact of the matter is, is there are churches and there are believers that are bringing light that's a beautiful thing that God has done in our land. See, the Christian has a duty to be light. As Jesus' disciples, we're to be the bearers of the saving knowledge of God. We're the ones who are going to tell them about what Jesus Christ did for us. And you know what? A lot of times we don't do that. But we're called to do that. We're called by God to be the light to lead the world from the darkness to the truth of God. And while it's our nature and calling to be influencers, Jesus implies that some believers have slipped spiritually. I mean, that's what he's talking about. He says, if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. The implication is that someone is spiritually slipping. There's some leakage going on there. Something's happening that's, that's taking the power away, the saltiness. And then he says, someone uh, puts a, a lamp, and nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. But he puts it on a lampstand so everybody can see it. So all can, can benefit from that. I think that's big stuff. Just as it's absurd to think of salt that's not salty or to light a lamp and then cover it up, it's also incomprehensible to Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Master, that a believer would disengage from lost people and lose his or her ability to make an impact. Incomprehensible. Why would somebody do that? How is that even possible? You see, we have at least two roles. One is negative in a, in a way and the other positive. If salt exercises the negative function of delaying decay and warns disciples of the dangers of, of compromise and conformity, then light speaks positively about illuminating sin, a sin-darkened world. Folks, we've got both of these going on at the same time. To hold back the decay, but also to shine light where there is darkness. Both of those are going on and should be going on in our lives. But you see, there's also a danger of being a Christian. Along with the responsibilities and the duties, the danger that Jesus spoke of is Christians face the danger of losing their influence. Losing their influence. Actually, salt 
cannot lose its saltiness. The only way sodium chloride can be rendered useless is to be contaminated by mixing it with impurities. As Christians, we must retain our Christ-likeness to be effective. Baptist pastor George W. Truitt, he once said, You're either being corrupted by the world or you are salting it. You're either being corrupted by the world or you're salting it. One or the other. Friends, if we are salt and we're not being salty, isn't it fair to say that we are a good-for-nothing Christian? If we're not being salty. G.C. Slough, he used to say, No bueno por nada. No good for nothing. No bueno por nada. You know, columnist William Raspberry, he says that when the church fails to offer spiritual help, it is playing away from its strength. It's like a seven-foot basketball player who attempts long jump shots. Or when he's near the basket, he keeps bringing the ball down to, to his center rather than staying up high and not using the, his height to his advantage. And coaches refer to a tall player who wastes his height advantage as a big man who is playing small. We're like that basketball player when we focus solely on meeting physical needs but fail to give the life-transforming salvation message to those whom we are ministering to. We can, we can meet their needs. We can, we can fill their bellies. We can uh, help them with finances. We can do a lot of things. But if we don't tell them about Jesus Christ, what have we done? What have we accomplished? See, we're playing away from our strength at that point. We're not using what God has entrusted us with. See, we would be doing what every other unbeliever can do and not doing what only we can do, which is tell them and share with them the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We are like salt that has lost its saltiness. We're like a light hidden under a basket. We're like a big man playing small. See, Christians also face the danger of concealing the truth of God. Christians are not to be like a village in a valley, but we're, like to, be a, we're to be like a city on a hill. <laughs> Alistair Begg, he said it this way. He says, if you can't shine, at least twinkle. You know, when I was a kid, we, we learned a song. It went like this. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Won't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. Won't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. 
Hide it under a bushel, no. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. You see, we must reveal who we are and we reflect whom we see. We reflect the light of Jesus Christ. If we're not looking at Jesus, we're not reflecting his light. See, our purpose on earth is not to get used to the dark, but it's to shine as lights. According to G. Campbell Morgan, the church did the most for the world when the church was least like the world. Folks, that statement is loaded. D.L. Moody said, we are told to let our light shine and if it does and if it does, we won't need to tell anybody it does. The light will be its own witness. Lighthouses don't ring bells and fire cannons to call attention to their shining. They just shine. See, the real mark of a saint is that he makes it easier for others to believe in God. I think that's huge. See, the dividends... The dividends of being a Christian, I would say to you today that the, Christian in, the Christian's influence pays big dividends. I mean, being a Christian can lead to helping others, but it can also bring glory to God. <laughs> See, the world is helped by salty, shining Christians. People are saved from corruption and led to the truth about the one true God. John talked about this, excuse me, Jesus talked about this in John 15 when he said, this is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, proving yourselves to be my disciples. We bring glory to God when we help others understand what Jesus Christ did for them. When we live as a Christian, when we are uh, sharing the gospel, that is to our Father's glory. And see, one of the greatest dividends uh, uh, is that our Christian character brings glory to God. Hopefully when other people see you and when they see me, they bring glory to God and they say, man, what a mighty God we serve. Look at what God is doing Maybe they see him in your life. Maybe they see your patience. Maybe they see your gentleness. Maybe they see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And they bring glory to God. Maybe they see the gospel being brought to them by you. And they give glory to God. See, one of the greatest dividends we have is is our Christian character brings glory to God. And to glorify God means to enhance his reputation. To bring glory to Him. It's all about Him. It's not about us. It's not about this world. It's about Him. Bringing glory to Him. See, if you are a Christian, you are an important and powerful person. You're salt to a decaying world. You're a light to a world living in darkness. And God should show through our lives. But sadly, our life bulbs can be dirty. (laughs) The mirror is dirty. The reflecting mirror is dirty. 
dimming his light. Think about this, a couple of factors here about how we can dim God's light through unconfessed sin in our life. The mirror's dirty. We need to clean the mirror so that we can reflect his glory clearly and plainly. Just as dirt accumulates on a light bulb, so the dirtiness of sin accumulating in our life can, can create uh, something that's not there. It makes the light of God dim. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sin. Folks, we need to do that. We need to, uh, allowing sin to go unconfessed condemn God's light and hinder the effectiveness of our own testimony. Secondly, I would say fear of others. We all want to be accepted, appreciated by our peers. But the world tells us that talking about Christ and faith is offensive. That's the world saying that. That talking about Christ is offensive. We're told that religion is for Sunday and Monday through Saturday is a different life. But I'm telling you, don't be pressed into the world's mold. Talk about your faith. Talk about Jesus Christ. He is offensive because he said he is the only way to the Father. There is no other way to the Father except through Jesus. And that's offensive. They crucified him. Can we expect any less? Toughen up. Get some thick skin. See, this sanctuary, I'm wrapping this up. This sanctuary can be a salt shaker. You can come in here once a week, have a lot of fellowship with all the other salts, and think that your job has been accomplished. It's the main event. You're here. It counts. Instead, God wants to pick up this sanctuary and shake us like a salt shaker all over this city. So that this city will be shining and salty with his presence. He's brought us together as his salt only to scatter us. See, God wants us to be an influence for Jesus. Salt sitting in the salt shaker will never exert its preservative effect until it's shaken out into the decaying world. I would say this morning God desires that you would allow his light to shine through you every day of the week to all people everywhere. I want to end this morning with a word from out of the Message Bible, same passage. But understand this. This is God's invitation. Let me tell you why you're here. 
You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, I thank you for this time. Father, I know that as we hear your word, Father, it's convicting to all of us. None of us are all that we should be all the time. Father, there is none that are righteous, no, not one. And we all fall short of your glory. But Father, thank you for making a way through your son Jesus so that we could be made right with you. Father, I pray that we would be salt and light. And Father, that we would get over our, ourselves. Father, that we would get over our sin. Father, that we would confess that to you so that times of refreshing could come. Father, I pray that you would use us to, to take Jesus public. Father, that we would be the city on a hill. Father, that we would be the salt that is so desperately needed in our society. Father, it begins with each one of our hearts and our love for you. Father, your word says that in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. So I ask, Father, that you would rekindle the flame. Father, that you would stir up the fire. God, that you would help our, our passion for you. Father, to be what it needs to be. God, that you would stir our hearts. Father, that you would find us willing to be willing. To do whatever it is you ask. Father thank you for calling us. Thank you for making a way for us. Father I pray that we would live up to that calling. Father that today we would say to you. We love you. Make our hearts pliable in your hands. Father mold us and shape us according to your will. And not to the pattern of this world. Lord, may that be so in each of our hearts, and each of our lives, in each of our homes, and certainly in your church. Father, we love you and we praise you. Guide us 
in this time of response. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.